Greetings, I'm Thomas Reed, and you're listening to the AT Banter Podcast. When this podcast is finished and you're looking for some more content, slide on over to Read My Mind Radio at readmymind.com. That's R to the E I D. Like my last name. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AP Banter. Uh, hey, this is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name's Rob Minot, and joining me today, the lovely, the talented, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hey, did you notice I didn't whiff on the cowbell this week? I did. I was very proud of you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I have to say that you know our our good our good buddy, who happens to also be a co-host on the on the show. Of course, everybody knows and loves Mr. Steve Barkley. He has a big announcement uh, coming up soon. He's got some some stuff going on with his company, Canadian Assistive Technology, and that's kind of why he hasn't been around lately uh, to give us that old introduction banter banter. So, I'm, Ryan, I'm kind of thinking. You might actually have to step in uh, for for Steve next week, and unless he's here, uh, I, al- but I, I almost I did like it today. That... Oh yeah, almost did it today. But I just I feel like that whole it just it it hurts my heart every time I just hear that that big empty gap of silence and then the cowbell strike. Well, it just shows how dedicated you and I are to doing this show week after week. Yeah, well, it's true. That's true. Hey, you know what? Speaking of of uh, of the show which we're doing. Um, I did happen to look at, at the news just before I came on, and this is kind of a little bit of a follow-up to uh, last week's show. Yeah, last week we, we, we were talking with uh, Carrie Brown John, uh, and we were talking about uh, you know her being refused service on uh, Hello Ferries because of her power wheelchair, and then we got into talking about Air Canada and, and all kinds of stuff about the uh, um, Accessible Canada Act. Uh, and I did happen to see that uh, there's been a federal committee that's launching an investigation into accessibility issues at ca- different Canadian airlines. Uh, this was just uh, announced uh, the day before yesterday. So, um, you know, the Federal Transport Committee has voted to undertake a study on the state of accessible transportation for Canadians, of course, living with disabilities, as well as the regulatory regime surrounding it. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing some, some action, I guess, because of all of these news stories that have come out, because I, I swear, I swear to you, and I can't even keep up anymore, but I'm, I swear, Ryan, <laughs> maybe you saw it. Was there something about WestJet a couple days ago as well? Yeah. One of our Paralympians was, right. um, basically had an issue, I think getting up the stairs to the plane, WestJet at seems offered her all the assistance they had available to them and she refused the service so i think there's more to the story than what was reported on right but um yeah it was just another case of you know service issues for people with disabilities yeah for sure for sure so i mean it's nice that these are getting in the media but you know really anybody who's looked at the stats i mean there's been 224 complaints uh this year alone um, so it's happening a lot. It's just that not everything is getting into the, into the media. And I feel like the ones that are kind of, they're, they're higher profile, right? Like this is a Paralympian. So it, 
it makes a bit bigger of a splash but i don't know i don't know maybe maybe this means we'll we'll see some action maybe it means just some more meetings while they try to figure this stuff out well all we can do is hope right hope that things yeah. move forward and that change comes quickly and persons with disabilities get treated a little bit more respectfully that's right well said thank you well you know what you know in another news story that i would that just happened to pop up while i was looking at that breaking news breaking it so did did you realize that uh daryl hall is suing john oates what I know that's right. Of course, uh, for any listeners who were born before 1975, this this may actually uh, have some sort of significance. Anybody else, anybody who's been born after that, will probably just be like, "Who?" Um, <laughs> but, but of course, pop duo uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates, uh, yeah, apparently, apparently, are they're still they're still fighting. Daryl Hall has filed an undisclosed complaint and has issued this. This this made me chuckle. He issued a temporary restraining order uh, against John Oates. So I don't know. Is was John Oates like showing up to his house in the middle of the night with his guitar and trying to jam? <laughs> this, it seems like a really weird story. Who so, knows? I haven't read it. It must be over song credits or something. I, who knows? Yeah. Right. Know. But this is why. Is but this you know this. This and I'm sorry. I, I promise we're, we're going to get to our guests. I'm very excited about our show. Uh, we have some great guests and a very exciting topic. But this just like this reminds me of this whole thing with the new Beatles song where they used AI oh, to, like fill it. But right, like this is why we can't have like nice stuff is because all of these musicians <laughs> like they all fight while they're all still alive and they don't record and do anything and then one dies and then they have AI like come in and. Like we could have been having hollow note songs for, for the last 30 years, but these guys can't like stop fighting long enough to, uh, to actually make any music. I mean, the dudes are like in their seventies. Aren't you a Swifty yet? What? Aren't you a Swifty yet? Well, see, there you go. See, she was smart. She didn't team up with anybody. <laughs> so that's the way to go. You gotta be a solo act and then you, you don't have to worry about all this nonsense. There you go. Rob's got all the answers. <laughs> oh, if only that were the case. <laughs> All right, run enough nonsense. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. Let's get uh, this show on the road. Why don't you tell the fine folks at home uh, just what the heck uh, we're up to today? Well, today we are welcoming back to the show Rianne LaPere from NELS, the National Network for Equitable Library Services. Ha <laughs> ha, I got it right this time. And she has some guests that she's brought along with her. So, Rianne, welcome back to the show. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Rob. It's great to be back. Hello. And uh, thanks so much for having me. And uh, I'm happy to be uh, joined by two partners in crime here, uh, Leah Brochu from Nels and uh, Sarah Ava Mark Smith from Penguin Random House Canada. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you guys could all join us. Appreciate taking time out this evening. So we we are very excited. We always love having Rianne on the show, and and we love talking about Braille. We're, we're we're huge Braille advocates. What I understand is that you guys have a little bit of announcement. Maybe if we could just start in just uh, introducing yourselves. So I'm Rianne Lapere. I am the Braille and Accessibility Testing Coordinator at the National Network for Equitable Library Service, or NELS. And I am Leah Brochu. I'm the Accessible Publishing and Resources Coordinator at NELS, and I work 
uh, a lot with publishers and I also coordinate the Accessible Publishing Summit and I do, I take care of social media and all kinds of fun things. Uh, all the many hats you wear when working at a nonprofit. Hi, um, my name is Sarah Smith-Avamark and I work at Penguin Random House Canada. I'm on the sales team and partnerships falls under my purview. Partnerships. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, this is definitely going to play right into uh, what we're going to be talking about. So I don't know which one of you guys wants to sort of uh, talk about uh, the big announcement, but uh, whoever it is, uh, take it away. So uh, we are super excited to uh, announce that on November 14th, uh, together Nels and Penguin Random House Canada did a simultaneous print and braille release of two titles written by Jamie Oliver. The first is um, Five Ingredients Mediterranean, his newest cookbook. Um, and the second is his debut uh, kind of middle years novel called Billy and the Giant Adventure. Um, and they are both fantastic reads and both have recipes and both have image descriptions written in them for the braille versions so why don't we why don't we kind of back up a little bit from there and say you know talk about how this partnership was developed who approached who yeah you know Rianne, i actually wonder if you remember the date i was doing a little bit of email searching on my end but i think it was at Rianne's initiation we met at OLA, which is the Ontario Library Association. Every year they have a big super conference. And I think that's where we met, right, Rianne? Yeah. So there like at these conferences, there tend to be like a lot of library publishers and vendors. And I went around to every single booth and I gave like the Nels pitch and I gave the Braille pitch to all of the book publishers and I gave the accessibility testing pitch to all of the library vendors and digital database vendors. And I was kind of wandering by this like beautiful penguin random house booth and I went, oh, they're really busy and they're really big. I bet you they're not even going to talk to me, <laughs> but we'll see what happens. And this lovely lady was there and I was like, oh, she looks nice. I'll wait to talk to her. And uh, it turns out it was Sarah. <laughs> That's so kind. I remember meeting you and thinking you were so nice. Um, but yeah, Rianne, you reached out to me. And you let me know about this um, funding initiative that you have, the Braille for forthcoming publications project. And I don't want to scoop you here, but it was the first that I had learned of the project. And you had asked if there was a title that we would be willing to work together on. And I know that instinctually, like my first answer was absolutely yes. Um, but please correct my memory. Uh, the question that I asked you first, you had mentioned that the funding was available for one book, and I asked you if funding would be available for two books, potentially. That is correct, and I went back and said, yeah, I think we can make it work. Amazing, yes. And then that is when I took all of this information back to um, my teams internally and figured out how to get all of the approvals that we needed to get this done. And that's how the books happened. And so Sarah, is this the first time Penguin Random House has partnered with an organization like Nell's to provide books in an alternative format? It is not the first time that we've worked with Nell's, but I do think that this is the first time that we've done a simultaneous Braille publication together. Right. Is that right, Rianne? 
Uh, no, we did an Amanda LaDuke book a few years ago. Yes, yes. The Centaur's, uh, the Centaur's Wife. Wife. Yes. Um, was there a physical Braille edition of that book as well? There was. It went to Amanda. That's fantastic. That's great. So actually, and I, I want to talk a little bit about this because on the surface level, like people who sort of aren't sort of in in the industry or, or you know, big Braille readers, they, they might not really understand the significance of this. But can you kind of like in a, in a typical book release, what would generally happen in terms of getting, um, you know, a, something like a bestseller um, into a, a Braille version? Like how long does that typically take? Um, you know, what's the waiting periods for that like? And what's the kind of the process typically like? Typically, when we produce Braille, um, it doesn't happen until a request has been made. Um, and so what ends up happening is someone will request a title in Braille and then you're either taking a physical copy or a digital copy after it's already come out and has been out for a significant amount of time and then producing the Braille from there. Um, and that can be very slow. I mean, it can come, you know, six months after it comes out. It can be, you know, months after it comes out. It can be years after it comes out, if ever. Um, I mean, there are organizations like Nelson Sela who will take titles and kind of look for titles as they're coming out and try and get their hands on them as quickly as possible and work with and, you know, request PDFs from publishers to be able to make that happen. Um, but I don't know if you remember quite a few years ago, um, National Braille Press worked with RNIB and um, a British publisher to do a simultaneous release with the Harry Potter series. So this was when Harry Potter first came out. It was a big deal. It was really exciting. I was just starting to dip my toes into alternate formats around then. And when actually it wasn't even at the first book, it was when Deathly Hallows was coming out. And um, it kind of struck me as odd that like this didn't happen more often and that these relationships weren't happening very often and and after harry potter kind of like didn't ever happen again and i never heard of it again um and so then when i had the opportunity to come to work at nels and uh, we already had all these wonderful established relationships with publishers i was able to kind of say like you know we have like before we had a braille famine, right? Where there's like impossible to get braille. And then now I would say we don't necessarily have a braille famine, especially with, you know, computer translated braille. Um, I'd say that we have an, a lack of access to braille that is quality braille, that is low cost, and that is timely. I think the big thing is timely access. So this is that hope to kind of contribute to the equitable reading landscape to have timely access to Braille by working with publishers to ensure that uh, Braille is available on the same day that the print is available. Um, I also like to note that the um, Centaur's Wife, I think, Leah, you worked on the EPUB for that, didn't you? Uh, yeah, we gave some feedback on it, and I think I was I was in charge of that. Gave some feedback on the accessibility aspects yeah. that were going into it. Yeah, so that was like a little bit of a unique one. We released that in accessible EPUB, Braille, and uh, a DAISY file, I want to say, in conjunction with SELA. So it was a little bit of a different 
kind of partnership than this one was. Mm -hmm. I'm also kicking myself for failing to remember all the details of that partnership. Um, But I I, I will perhaps in defense (laughs) say that um, this is part of the challenge, I think, in getting new projects done at um, a big company like Penguin Random House. Uh, There are just so many different pockets and teams of people who have different areas of responsibility and they have different sets of knowledge. And so when you try to make something new like this happen, it can be a little bit you a little bit like a scavenger hunt. You have to find all the people, find all the pieces, answer all of the questions. And um, I, I will say that Rianne was incredibly patient with me. Um, the, the, the question before about how quickly Braille books are made, I was worried that we were coming up right against the deadline and that we wouldn't make it. But I think that, Rianne, I did want to ask you, was it an exceptionally fast turnaround time in this case or normal? It was an exceptionally fast turnaround time. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give out all the kudos to Point PowerPoint. Uh, they were the transcri- transcription company that we contracted out for both titles, uh, just because there's no humanly way possible that I could write all of the image descriptions and transcribe the Braille um, for both the book and the image descriptions in, in a quick turnaround time. Um, so we contracted the Braille production itself out to Point PowerPoint, and uh, like they knocked it out of the park. I'm pretty sure they had quite a few people working around the clock for a couple of weeks and not to mention they delivered it a couple of days early. So well, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That sounds like there's a lot of moving parts. You got the Braille version. I believe there was also an audio version, you know, mm-hmm. who, who looked after like all the different formats. Cause I'm assuming did Nels do the audio version as well? He didn't. No, um, the print editions, the audiobooks, and the ebooks were all handled by Penguin Random House. It was actually a learning for me to discover that um, Braille rights were baked into our contract. Um, and I'm not sure that that's standard across all publishers, but that was all of this has been a huge discovery process for me. And I have been so glad to learn everything and again, grateful for Rianne's patience as I asked, I'm sure a slew of very dumb questions. But um, I, I can say those that I have shared the project with back at Penguin Random House, it is, everyone is so fascinated and so supportive. It is obviously we all very, very deeply care about books and Braille book publication is new to most of us, um, definitely new to me. and having the chance and opportunity to hear how the books are made and just see the books once they were done was truly, uh, I, I hope that we are able to work again, Rian. I know we've talked about that. Yeah, me too. Well, and it sounds like you guys are, were kind of really laying the groundwork for, for a lot of things going forward, because it sounds like this was, um, in a way, this there, there were a lot of firsts uh, with this partnership and with the the braille production of these particular books um rianne uh very kindly took some time out of her day uh last week i believe the days are all blurring together now but um the rollout process was not as smooth as i would have hoped you know this is typical of basically every publication story but um, knowing that, as you say, this was our first time doing it next year, I hope if we are able to work again together next year, we'll be a lot smoother. The funding that allowed this to happen, is that constant funding or was this new funding? So 
It's funding that we have had since 2018. It's the Government of Canada's Social Development Partnership Program Disability Component, which is distributed by um, Employment and Social Development Canada. And this bucket is 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 going to be empty, I guess, uh, soon. But I know that the you know Employment and Social Development Canada is working on a new kind of iteration of this funding and they're calling it the equitable access to reading program. So that's being worked on. Um, and, but this particular bucket is, uh, is almost, is almost empty. So it almost sounds like we need a, a regular revenue stream in order to keep stuff like this happening. You know, I guess one of my questions is penguin random house got the book from Jamie Oliver's team did you approach Jamie Oliver's team and say, we'd like to produce this in Braille and alternative formats as well? Or is that just a given and the author has no no say in that once they pass the book to the publisher? Uh, we definitely prioritize taking all of this to Jamie's team. Um, just as a publisher, our number one priority is always author care. And I mentioned just now that the Braille rights were baked into the contract. So Technically, we could have gone ahead without talking to Jamie, but never in a million years would we have done that, sure. um, especially given that um, this is our first uh, Jamie Oliver publication. He was with another publisher in Canada. And so part of the opportunity here, I thought when Rianne and I first started talking together was, you know, a huge part of Jamie Oliver's mission as a chef is to make sure that his work is as accessible to everyone as possible. And um, one of the special things about his children's debut, Billy and the Giant Adventure, is that it was specifically made in mind um, for young kids who struggle with reading. Jamie himself uh, was dyslexic when he was younger, and so the print book is typeset in dyslexic-friendly font. And I just... I, I, I hope I have the privilege one day of meeting this very kind man, but I just knew that there was no way Jamie would say no to this. <laughs> Perhaps presumptuous or assumptive, but after years of watching the man cook, I just had a very good feeling. And so once we were able to gather all of the pieces on our end, um, a very kind colleague of mine was able to get all of the details over to Jamie's team across the pond. And very quickly we heard back just such enthusiasm and um, I, I, I do consider it a career highlight when I learned that Jamie was so supportive of the project that he asked uh, his publishing team to share um, Rianne's lovely press release with all of his international publishers in the hopes that it would encourage them to do the same. So Jamie nice. Oliver stand for life, absolutely. <laughs> So in terms of uh, when it when it came to sort of choosing who to go after or even the particular book title, was there a little bit of a strategy around that or you, were you just sort of taking a little bit of the shotgun approach and just trying to just, you know, putting the putting the pitch out there and trying to get who you could? I mean, it was very much like throwing my business card out in the wind in many ways. Um, I mean, we've done simultaneous Braille and print releases with a number of Canadian publishers. And uh, I certainly don't want to minim minimalize the, the work that we've done with them because it, that every simultaneous release is, 
is an is an accomplishment and is incredible and should be celebrated. Um, but I think us getting to work with a large publisher such as Penguin Random House was particularly exciting. And then um, then having the international author on top of that was definitely a first for us. And we, I think I'd even mentioned to Sarah at some point that we've never done a cookbook before. So it was something else that was like, oh, look, another first. That's very exciting. And I, and I want to actually talk about that a little bit because um, it is really interesting that, you know, this this is a, a cookbook and, and then the other is a, a children's book. And of course, you know, children's book are very um, illustration heavy, um, you know, cookbooks are same thing. Like there's, there's a lot of pictures and there's a lot of directions and, and particular steps. What was that like to, to lay out in Braille? Were there any particular unique challenges to that? Um, you know, when you, when you compare that to say, just, just, um, releasing say a novel. Um, well, Braille formats have things like lists and tables and all those kinds of things taken care of already. So, as far as the formatting goes, it just takes an extra little human touch to make sure that everything's looking right. Of course, you know, measurements are kind of an important thing to double check when you're proofreading. Because, uh, I mean, heaven forbid we put a tablespoon of something spicy instead of a teaspoon um, <laughs> or sweet or sour, etc. Um, and the nice thing is about uh, like five ingredients Mediterranean is that it follows a consistent format throughout. So once you kind of figure out the first one, you know, that's going to have like a certain step-by-step, step. it's going to feature a picture of the dish. It's going to have the five ingredients that are used in the recipe. And there's going to be a nutrition table. And you know that every single recipe is going to follow that same kind of format. And that made it a lot easier to be able to put into Braille and, you know, make sure it's consistent throughout. So it takes a little longer just because there's a little bit more finessing, but it's, I wouldn't say it would be as complex as say like a, a chemistry textbook or, uh, you know, right. a world history textbook in some cases where there are maps and, and equations involved. Right. And that, that, that actually does kind of lead me into another question just about in general, when you're producing a, a Braille version, it's not just as easy as you don't just sort of plug the text into some sort of a, a Braille translation software and just it spits out what it spits out and then you print that. Um, there, there's, there's always that that sort of um, human element to it. Is, is that right? That is correct. Yeah, I, I think that's the other kind of piece of, um, you know, equitable access to reading is that, you know, we have quality Braille and not just something that's spit out and we hope for the best. And I mean, sometimes there are diacritics in language that need to be looked at. There's language formatting. There's, um, there's, yeah, those measurements, especially in cookbooks that are really important, um, you know, ensuring that your lists are formatted properly. So, you know, they're not part of the instructions, for instance, or even, you know, the nutritional information in the table, having that formatted properly so that you can look at it in a logical sense and make sure that those numbers are accurate and that they make sense to the reader. I mean, we want to make sure that we produce a quality product and not just something that is passable. So talk to me a little bit then about the the actual release. Can you kind of speak and, and talk a little bit about all of the things that kind of have to fall in place when you you are going about like this this really big simultaneous release of all of these different versions at the same time. 
Uh, yeah, so certainly there's lots of coordination of timing with the, the publisher and Nels. Um, in, in this case, we did a news release uh, that we jointly put out and worked on together. Uh, so there's back and forth with the different um, language and whatnot to make sure that we're both happy with it and it fits everyone's kind of idea of what we like. Um, and then certainly there's timing. So we usually ask publishers to provide the files um, like the final print files, uh, six, well, eight to 10 weeks in advance of the print release so that it gives us time to transcribe and proofread and print and, and get it shipped out. And then, um, and then it gives time for like the library to get it on its shelf for that print release date. And it gives us time to get it to the publisher so they can do any promotions or marketing around it. And same goes on our end, um, Certainly, we need to catalog it into our digital repository as well and get all the files uploaded and ready to go for those those times. Um, uh, and then there's the coordination of social media posts on our end as well. Um, maybe Leah and Sarah can speak more to some of those nuances, though. Sure. Yeah. So um, what we did here was exactly as Rianne said, work together on the press release made sure it landed with all of our contacts. Um, uh, we actually received another request for um, a podcast interview uh, from BookNet, which is Canada's big uh, book number machine. They tell us how all the sales are. Uh, so that's very cool and exciting. Um, and the social piece, that was a bit bumpy um, because it involved the coordination of not only uh, the Appetite uh, cookbook publishing team and our Tundra publishing team, but we needed to ensure that copy was approved and that heads up were given to all different stakeholders. So um, the the <laughs> everything did go out, but the all of a sudden I'm now thinking of the the term uh, too many cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the problem is sometimes the kitchen is spread out in different places and communication pieces get missed. But um, I'm so happy that it did all go out in the end. And um, yes, please, Rianne and Leah, keep working with us. Uh, and yeah, the, the the release on our end, it all went pretty smoothly. Everything was was well received. We did a, an email and a press release and, and a news article on the website um, about two weeks before the actual book came out. And then the day of that the book came out, uh, I got up early because I'm in Edmonton and we wanted to kind of time it a little bit for, you know, the, the Eastern time zone. So I just got to work a little bit early uh, to get our posts live and up and with all of the, the, the image descriptions, which I realized way late that they needed, they could only be uh, 500 characters. So, so <laughs> Rianne and, and I were editing uh, in the morning, but we got them down and got them up. And yeah, they were really well received. Can I just quickly jump in and say about the image descriptions? I read them and I, I said this to you, Rianne, but I just so everyone knows, I think they're beautiful. They're so artful. And they like, I, I know this is the point, but they create such a clear picture. And Writing that simply and directly is not easy to do. So just kudos. Oh, thank, thank you. you. That's yes. kind. Yeah. Yeah. Rianne took the lead and then and then we, we edited them down as we found out. Yeah, what's well, true. I mean, image description is very tricky to do because sometimes, you know, if you go too long, if you can get, you know, people can complain if it's if it's too short, if it's if it's out of context, it is it, there is a real art to it. 
Um, and I think especially when you're when you're dealing with something like a children's book, um, you know, that, that has like really beautiful illustrations or uh, a cookbook that has, you know, photos of the, the, diff the different dishes and stuff. It, I, there, there, there has to be a lot of a lot of care um, in those image descriptions. So uh, so well done. Thank you. The collage of photos will forever uh, be my, I don't even know it, like my best friend and my nemesis all at once. <laughs> 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 Trying to figure out what some of those uh, ingredients and foods were, were a little tricky, but it was, it was a fun challenge. It ended up uh, uh, myself and another colleague ended up like researching stuff on Jamie Oliver's TikTok page and all sorts of things <laughs> to figure out what the heck some of this stuff was. <laughs> uh, but it ended up being a, a great time and, and and a great learning experience. And I do want to note actually too that there are recipes in the children's book. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And they're they're um a similar style, I would say, to the to like the cookbooks. Um but for children and they're like absolutely wonderful. And I mean, I want to make with them. I want to make the the recipes that are in there too. So um, I, I think I like, I, I've like bookmarked some of the recipes. They look absolutely delicious in, in both books. I promise they're great. <laughs> yeah. I have to say that I went, uh, I cruised by uh, Jamie Oliver's website uh, earlier just to, to take a look at, Take a look at the website and and look into the book a little bit. And I did look up uh, a couple of the recipes um, from the book, and they look amazing. And they're I so and and if I'm getting the 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 gist of it right, it, it's called Five Ingredients Mediterranean, and that's basically all the recipes are literally have five ingredients. And, yeah. And that's it. So they're supposed to be very sort of approachable uh, to to make. Yes. And I thought that was, you know, it was really serendipitous. I thought in the end, the timing when Rianne and I were connecting about this possibility, we had just launched Jamie's books internally. And, you know, when we were talking about choosing a title that would create a lot of excitement, hopefully, and have a lot of impact, you know, Jamie Oliver's name was just right there. And I thought, why not try? And he so happily delivered. And that is, again, the beauty of the cookbook is that, as you say, it is meant to be simple. But within that simplicity, there's a lot of beauty. And uh, with Jamie, you know, I, I won't do the accent, but he likes to add a little va-va-voom to his food. So <laughs> you can trust that there is something delicious in there for everyone. Totally. I'm good. I'm totally going to try this crispy paprika chicken uh, on the weekend. You gotta. Yeah, absolutely. It looks amazing. I do want to say when, when Sarah reached out and said, Hey, how would you feel about two titles from Jamie Oliver? I like minimized the email and I like ran around the block with my, to like burn <laughs> off some excitement. And then I came back and I emailed uh, our manager, Daniela and said, so, how do we feel about this? It's going to cost more than we normally would spend. And she's like, yeah, we could do that. And then I calmly replied and said, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> and then I fist pumped because I was like, it's going to happen. Yes. So <laughs> mutual feelings all around. It, it is, this is really a, really an incredible uh, feat that you guys have pulled off. And, and it's, it's very cool that, that really you're, you're laying sort of the groundwork for uh, even other publishers, other organizations all over the place uh, to maybe to maybe, you know, take inspiration from and hopefully we see more of this happening. I hope so, too, really and truly. And uh, as 
you know, I, 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 I always feel a bit funny saying as the representative of Penguin Random House, because there are so many of us, but um, within our Canadian office, our leadership team is so supportive and so lovely. And I just know that this, this, this work truly matters to us. And I, I think that if we can keep working together, that's a really wonderful start, but making sure that other people know about what we're doing and um, just just the more awareness that is raised, um, the more books we can make, hopefully. Did this really bring inclusion or equitable reading to the forefront at Penguin Random House, or was this already kind of in 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 your in your systems? Inclusion and equitable reading is always within our our systems, I suppose. Um, uh, I um, I know that there are so many different pieces here, and Rianne, I think, would be able to speak more expertly than I can to all the different ways that we can make our books more accessible. But uh, I think, again, it's now more a matter of process and what are the titles that we can improve right now and where are those books going and how can we better reach readers of all different kinds of abilities. Um, I, I, I know this might sound a little bit uh, grandstandy, but uh, everyone at my company is a reader like me and we all love books and I truly don't know who I would be without reading. And the idea that someone couldn't read because simply the book isn't there, that's, that's an infrastructure issue. And obviously the world doesn't change overnight, but small steps, can go a long way. And I think this is a huge step and I'm very, very excited about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and forgive me, cause I, I don't, I, I don't know all of sort of the ins and outs when it, when it comes to things like um, distribution or, or how all of this works, but like, so how, how does this sort of play going forward? So um, like say internationally, for example, so say there's, you know, I, I like, I don't know, um, a, a library or something in the States or in Europe or something somewhere like do they, would they have to sort of do sort of this all over again themselves? Are there, is, is there, are there distribution channels where you guys could take the work that you've done and to distribute this internationally? Like what, how, how does all that kind of work? Yeah, it's, it's so through the Marrakesh Treaty and I'm doing this from the top of my head. I, I wish I had like written it up, but uh, basically if a book can't be purchased in an accessible format, um, people are, are able to go to what I think is termed authorized entities, which includes organizations like NELS to ask them to create like an accessible format for them. So since these versions are out there, like libraries should just be able to, um, you know, purchase the accessible format versions and, and include them in their libraries. Um, if that wasn't an option, then there is something called the Accessible Books Consortium that maintains a catalog of books um, internationally and authorized entities. So again, organizations that, that primarily work with um, you know, people with print disabilities, they can go through those channels to get access to those books and then get them into the hands of the people who want them. 
Okay, so let me let me open this up, and and this is a big big picture question, and I don't know that any of us will have the answer to this, but let's let's just dream big. So, what really needs to happen um, with all of this to get us to a point where things like this simultaneous releases of of Braille versions of of books is much more of a commonplace? Maybe it's not a one for one. But, you know, maybe like we'll take one, one out of 10 books maybe is able to um, um, be published uh, in Braille format uh, same, same day as all of the other formats. What's holding us back? Is it, is it just, is it funding? Is it government funding? What sort of needs to happen? And do, do any of you think that uh, we're going to get there anytime soon? Well, I can say right off the top, a huge obstacle um, in the production of Braille books that I've learned throughout this process is simply the cost of creating a physical Braille book. Um, Rianne, I would defer to you on all of the other logistics there, but learning the cost of creating one Braille book versus the cost of our typical um, book creation process, it was jaw-dropping. And... Um, I think that, well, actually, Rianne, I would ask you, what is your dream scenario moving forward? I think there could be a couple options. I, I, I think the first option probably isn't the reality. Um, I, I don't think that it is something that every publisher, especially those smaller publishers, could afford to hire a Braille transcri transcription team in-house or contract that out and, and pay for the... Um, you know, transcription and distribution of all of their books in Braille. Um, the cost associated with that would then likely have to be handed over to the reader, which is not equitable because it's going to likely cost more than the print book, which is unfair. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I would love to see there be funding available, uh, whether that be through grants or through sustainable funding of some sort to be able to, to, have those relationships with publishers where um they're like okay we're gonna do this number of titles i mean um if we had the money i know that there have been smaller publishers who maybe do like 10 titles a year and they said we're happy to give you our catalog and i'd be like yeah great i'd love to do them all if i had the money to do it kind of thing um and certainly i mean as we advance with things like um the new braille format ebrf um, and as we're able to work with, say, an EPUB 3 to be able to produce Braille, um, there's that chance that maybe production of Braille will change a little bit and it will be a little bit easier to, and more cost effective to produce Braille. So I do think things are changing. I think they're changing for the positive. And um, I mean, I, I do think that we're getting steps closer all the time, um, but we're not quite there yet and I, I think i hate to say like money's the answer but money alas, and relationships are the answer <laughs> yeah. alas in a capitalistic society it does make the world go round um what what i would say just to as an addendum to everything that rianne said i i hope that we penguin random house canada we just keep talking with um with your team and I just even hearing everything you said just now that has other wheels turning in my head. And I never want to promise anything I cannot deliver, but I think change is one constant in life and I, nothing that is standard needs to stay that way. 
when there's a will and there's a way. So I, I just think that Penguin Random House Canada can and will keep in conversation with the national, um, <laughs> I was going to do the full, um, the, the handful, <laughs> the entire name, but with Nels and, um, you know, I, I would also ask, uh, you've been such wonderful, generous and transparent with the information that you've you have shared with us. But seeing down right to the very every single dollar, just all the money that you need and then figuring out next steps from there. And so when you are talking about the cost of the Braille production, I'm going to assume a lot of that cost is the physical Braille copies. Are you also producing the electronic Braille format for people who do have the ability to read on a Braille display? We are, yeah. And actually the cost is mostly for the transcription of that electronic file. The physical volumes themselves are significantly less once you have the Braille file. Okay. I will also say, I don't know if this is of interest, but um, the, the ability to share these digital braille files internationally is different from um, how we distribute our electronic files. Um, I like to joke that there is an invisible wall that goes up around country borders when it comes to sharing those kinds of materials. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a little bit of a learning moment on our end to, you know, we're sharing such important manuscripts, we have to take every single precaution. And so I, I think it was natural. I felt it too, just a slight hesitation when we learned like, wait, what? And anyone can grab them. But then of course, that's wonderful. It was just, it was new. Right. Well, it's the same with audio description, just because, you know, a studio releases a film doesn't mean it's going to get audio a, an audio descriptive track. And that track doesn't always necessarily go to whoever is getting that film next for distribution. And it's one of our banes of existence is if there's a descriptive track, it should go with the media to everybody, everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. And it should be like books and, and digital rights. You know, if there's a book published, everybody should have access. Mm -hmm. I think it helps when I uh, kind of said to Sarah that, you know, the only person who's going to be able to read the Braille is a Braille reader. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like it, it sounds daunting that like, oh, yeah, we can just distribute it through, you know, mm. ABC and it's not a big deal. Um, it is a big deal, right? Because everybody has access to it, but like there are, you know, systems in place to make sure it's just not out there and it, but it's not like I'm taking a PDF and going to the local right. staples and printing a copy, right? Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> you can just print out a whole bunch of dots on a page that no one can read, uh, you know, like symbol it, uh, it's probably not going to work, but, um, yeah. if you need special software to print it, you need that, you know, a special printer to emboss it and things like that. Right. So it's not as, it's not as, uh, as as scary as sharing, I think, a print file in many ways. Yeah, I mean, right. trust me, as, as somebody who's sighted, who's tried to learn Braille, um, uh, you, you're not gonna, you just pay the, the 12 bucks for the book and don't don't try to learn Braille just so you can get the Braille version for free. I know A to H in Braille and that's it. So um, what's, what the heck's next? What do you, what do you, what do you got lined up uh, after this, you guys did mention that that this particular program, the funds are are sort of almost gone for this. Uh, is are there are there upcoming programs? Um, what what other types of programs does does Nels sort of uh, interface with with publishers? Um, it's it's under the same it's, it's under the same funding program. I, I do work with publishers. I 
and I'll be taking on this work until uh, until March. So if there's any publishers listening, feel free. Because what I like to do is take your EPUBs and audit them for accessibility. We look at all of the code and, and check out, you know, what's wrong, what's right, and let you know uh, how that's looking in the most kind of user-friendly, human-readable way that we can, because it is complex. Um, we also have a lot of resources that we try to keep up to date on our website, accessible, accessiblepublishing.ca, and that's probably something that I could that will be that will be maintained, um, you know, through the the end of this program and the transition period into the next equitable access to reading program. Um, we've got lots of guidelines for publishers, um, best practices, image description guidelines, frequently asked questions, and that kind of thing. Um, and we've got our accessible publishing summit coming up, um, but yeah, it's we, we all this kind of work is under our the the social development partnership program disability component funding that we've been receiving. NELS also does have its core funding, so we do kind of you know we maintain a repository of books um, that's all cataloged and organized on the NELS website, so that's not going anywhere. Um, so we've got plenty to keep us busy in the meantime. Absolutely. And of course, you know, the ever favorite World Royal Day celebrations in oh, January. Of course. Of course. Um, this is smaller, perhaps, but uh, my next to do item uh, is to book some of Rianne's time when she's in town for the next iteration of OLA. So uh, I hope that we will see each other again soon and then we can talk about um, how we can best continue working together. Absolutely. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, well, I hear uh, Gordon Ramsay is working on a children's book called, you call that an effing pancake? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that real? No. <laughs> you almost had me going, but I was like, but he's so nice to children. He did just celebrate the birth of an, of his uh, of, of a child, hey? Did he? Yeah. Oh, mazel. He says it's the last one. <laughs> <laughs> no he's a lovely man I, i'm just teasing yeah, yeah, just, yeah. i just i i enjoy him for his kitchen nightmares days where absolutely and i could just watch an hour of him yelling at people for <laughs> days on end uh, it's great well listen guys the books are are both out now so people can find them anywhere they find books uh highly recommended uh rian like what else can people do to sort of support support this i'd say go to your local public library and uh ask to interlibrary loan uh either copy in in braille from cochrane public library in alberta uh so that you know that's getting used the more use it gets the you know the better things are and download it from the nels repository the more downloads we get the it means we know that it's being used and that's really what makes a difference is that we we want to make sure that our titles are being used and that they're being enjoyed and loved and that we can keep doing more. And if if you are cooking and reading about it and hopefully don't spill any, you know, ingredients on your Braille display in the process. Um, but if you want to, <laughs> you know, sh shout out about it in social media, like feel free to feel free to tag us or, or post your wonderful cooking pictures or what have you. Uh, we want to hear about it. Guys, thank you again so much. Uh, of course, the name of the two books, Five Ingredients Mediterranean and Billy and the Giant Adventure. Uh, you can find them anywhere you can find books, Amazon, Indigo, Chapters, whatever you want. Thanks so much for taking time out of your evening, guys, to, to come in and talk about it and to make this announcement and uh, to talk to us about uh, Braille, which we love, and food. 
Thank you so much for the yeah, invitation. For this has been such a joy. Thanks for All having right. us. Thanks, guys. Have a great evening. Thanks, okay, you too. Thanks. You too. Bye. 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 So there you go. There you go. Same date and time, book launch. Gotta love it. It it is really cool, but at the same time, I'm just like, man, you know, this hasn't happened yet. Like we haven't figured this out as a society. Like, why can't we why can't Braille just be like another format like an audiobook? And I hadn't even really thought about this, I I will admit. Um, I didn't even think of, you know, an electronic Braille format where that you could just download and you could read the book, you know, on an electronic Braille display. I didn't even yep. factor that in. I was just thinking of, oh yeah, well, they have to produce like a literal Braille book, which, you know, is I'm sure costly and it's heavy and it's big and it's bulky. I didn't even think of like the electronic part of it. Like that makes it even more important, I think, that to, to have these these options. Cause that's that's a perfect that's like a, you know, it's like a, a little Kindle. Like that's not super big. You can carry that around. You can, but that's where Rianne said it, it was that's where the costs are, right? It's yeah. it's producing that electronic producing- Braille file. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you just turning your embosser on and letting it emboss for 24 hours doesn't really cost you a whole lot. Yeah, but, that's, very, that's, very, that's very true. You know, and you know, something like a 300-page book, um, you know, there's a lot of work. Somebody has to go in and has to copy edit all of that and make sure that the Braille yeah. is correct and the Braille is efficient and makes sense. And that, you know, that all takes time. And when you consider, you know, how many books are published every year, uh, you know, that's, that's a huge impact. And for a little organization like Nell's, um, that relies on things like government funding and, you know, is, is staffed by, you know, a handful of people. It's not Which huge. is ludicrous. You know, it's ludicrous that there's, there's no funding. You know, if, if you had a child, you sent them to school, they learn to read, mm-hmm. right? So why does learning Braille have to cost us extra? Yeah. Right. We're yeah. being penalized for our disability. Well, you know, and that's interesting. They did, they did say that, you know, it wouldn't be fair if the, the Braille version was more expensive than... Right. Uh, the print version, but at the same time, I don't know, like, I, I feel like people would pay that. Like, even, even if they, if they had that option, like I would just like for them to have that option, like, you know, you, okay, you, you're paying like 20 bucks instead of 15 bucks um, for a book, but at least you have the option. And right now people just don't even have that. Like they just, you're just out of line. Again, I think it comes down to the quantity of companies who actually have the ability to produce the Braille. Yep, we need more organizations like Nels. We need more folks like Rianne. You know, we need we need about you know fifty of her. Oh, at least. At least, right? So you know, these are all things that that uh, you know. I guess the, the it's the infrastructure really that that uh, is the problem. And 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 like you know, Rianne said the cost, right? Because it you know for for every Braille book that's published, it's it costs money, and you know it, it's. It needs funding. So it's all about where our priorities are. Indeed. And uh, I'm looking forward to my crispy paprika chicken on the weekend. I'm serious. <laughs> like, literally, like, this is great. It says, this is perfect. This is made for me. It's got literally yep. got five ingredients. You need, a, you need potatoes, nice. some peppers, a chicken, some paprika, and some thyme. That's it. There you go. So Simple and easy. All right. Well, let's get out of here. All right. I'm going to make my chicken. Uh, hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. They can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at 
atbanter.com. I should probably trademark that children's book idea title, actually, in case Gordon Ramsay doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't you should. Know. And I love watching Kitchen Nightmares every Monday night. It's oh, a great it's, show. Yeah, I love it too. It's, it's so yeah. great. Yeah. Good guy. We should get Gordon on the show. Yes, <laughs> there you go. Just, <laughs> you just yell at us for an hour. <laughs> oh, this is an effing podcast. Right. What's wrong with you? Can't even say Google. <laughs> oh, oh man. Uh, what else? Where else can people find us? They can find us on Facebook and X, I guess. Sure. All right. I think that is going to about do it for us this week. Uh, big thanks, of course, to Sarah, Leah, and Rianne. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.